uh, I think there is a real sense of generational identity, particularly among the, I think very clearly, the millennial generation forward, which is I got ripped off, right? Like people older than me, my parents got to do this. And then, and then I, you know, I, on the other hand, had to take out these huge student loans. And uh, that's bullshit. If we can say that on your podcast, yeah. um, uh, that is not fair. And, and Bernie Sanders said, you're right. And I'm going to bring it back. In the United States, public education has traditionally meant that every citizen is entitled to 13 years of free schooling from kindergarten through 12th grade, what we call the K-12 system. Under a new policy proposal, the Biden administration is pushing Congress to expand that system two years in either direction, providing two years of free pre-K and two years of free community college to middle and lower income families. Hello and welcome to Learning Machine. I'm Sam Squalachi here with my faithful co-host, Nathan Levin. Each week, we interview a researcher, practitioner, or policy expert as we look for answers to the big questions about the future of education. This week, we spoke with Kevin Carey of the New America Institute about this important policy shift in higher education. Stay with us. Support and inspiration for Learning Machine comes from our listeners. If you've got a minute, join our community at www.learningmachinepodcast.com, where you can find links to the full interviews, show notes, and more. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Um, Hi, my name's Kevin Carey. I'm the vice president. Kevin Carey is a policy expert in education at the New America Foundation, a policy think tank that focuses on a broad range of social issues. We spoke to him about his reaction to the Biden administration's proposal, but before we could get into that, we asked him to help us understand the trends that have brought us up to this point. Well, the you know the advent of the Biden administration has put a lot of really big, high-profile education issues on the table. Um, interestingly, mostly in um, either education for young children or for college-age people, which is you know like not the way it used to be. Um, for a long time, the center of education policy was really K through 12 education. And if you look back at debates and policy proposals and federal legislative efforts, certainly back into the 1990s and the aughts and even into the 2010s, it was a lot of discussion around K through 12 schools, education standards, testing, uh, the No Child Left Behind Act, things like that. Um, and there wasn't as much attention given to early education or to college, which were, um, uh, you know, not the center of attention. And now it's kind of reversed. Now we have, uh, you know, it is addressed to Congress, which was last week when we were recording this. Uh, President Biden said, essentially, I want to add two free years of education to either end of the system. Free pre-K for three and four-year-olds and also to make the first two years of college free um, via free community colleges. Um, So uh, those would be historic changes in the way the American education system is designed and financed if they were to be implemented, certainly probably the biggest uh, changes to the education system in, you know, probably half a century. Okay, so Nathan, Kevin Carey is known for being critical of the role and purpose of college in the modern economy, an argument he made in his 2015 book, The End of College. So I might have expected him to be critical of the federal expansion of college when the very institution is teetering on obsolescence, at least in his mind. 
Is that what you found? I actually pushed him on this point early on in our discussion, but found that while quality of education is a major area of concern, he ultimately thinks the move is going to be a positive opportunity to expand access to higher education to more Americans. And I guess that also sort of begs the question, like, what are we trying to accomplish by getting more people to have more time in school? But if, if what we're trying to accomplish is a more educated society, do you see that as an effective measure to do it? Well, I think, I mean, ultimately, it's it's an attempt to broaden access to a level of education that that affluent people already have. Um, mm. You know, uh, uh, going to college is sort of both as a matter of kind of uh, culture and practice universal among the highly educated classes in this country, or or certainly close to it. Um, if you are the child of a, a two college-educated parents who are financially well-off and, and you graduate from high school, it, it really, it takes more effort to not go to college. You know, the exp- you know everything about the way our, our society is structured in terms of both formal education institutions, but also kind of messaging and cultural expectations just kind of pushes you in that direction. And, you know, people of means certainly have lots of ways to enrich the early childhood experience, whether it's um, uh, children sort of stay home or whether they're in more formal, you know, kind of childcare settings, you know, uh, like lots of things. Um, high quality early education is something that you can buy if you can afford it. The problem is many, many people can't afford it. Um, and so uh, on the one hand, you have real, real large differences in exposure to educationally enriching environments at an early age, you know, when students first uh, encounter one another in the school system. Um, Education isn't, you know, uh, we don't even have universal kindergarten in this country. In most states, you don't have to send your kid to school until they're in the first grade. And a lot of uh, states uh, or localities don't even have full-time free kindergarten. and then, uh, you know, access to higher education on the other end is really varied depending on wh- where you live and how much money you have, both whether you can afford to go to college and um, whether you can get into a good college, which is, which is, I would say, you know, a part of the Biden plan that is, can use some work, in my opinion. I think it's very access focused and, and I understand why, but um, we also need to make sure that people have access to high quality educational experiences and that's a, a whole other set of questions to resolve. Kevin and I went off for a moment into a really worthwhile discussion about the historical, economic, and social underpinnings of our higher education system. If you're interested, you can check out the full, unedited, hour-long conversation on our Patreon, where you'll find lots of similar behind-the-scenes content. For now, though, I want to focus back on this question of the Biden policy shift to adding several years of free college and what amounts to a major change to our education system. So, the, you know, the big idea is free college. And this, I think, certainly credit to Senator Bernie Sanders for being the person who took a, what was, you know, not really a mainstream idea and, and shoving it firmly into the mainstream of the American uh, public dialogue by, you know, almost writing it to the Democratic nomination twice. Um, and, and, you know, like really tapping into what I think is a, a strong and accurate sense among the American public that we have lost something in the sense that, you know, if you think about universal health care, uh, we've never had that in this country. We should, but we never have. 
Whereas I think people rightly feel like we had kind of something like universal access to, if not free college, at least affordable college for a while, like many decades in the mid 20th century. And then, and then we kind of threw it away uh, and we, and then we don't have it anymore. And this idea that, you know, if you were smart and work hard and, and, and I know the world is much more complicated and less just than, than that, but um, for many students, um, that, you know, you could go to a good public college or university and either your parents could pay out of pocket or you could, you know, quote, work your way through college, which was a phrase that used to mean something in this country. Um, and then we just, we don't have that anymore. Right. And so like, uh, uh I think there is a real sense of generational identity, particularly among the, I think very clearly the millennial generation forward, which is I got ripped off. Right. Like people older than me, my parents got to do this. And then and then I, you know, I, on the other hand, had to take out these huge student loans. And uh, that's bullshit. If we can say that on your podcast, yeah. um, uh, that is not fair. And and Bernie Sanders said, you're right. And that free education of extraordinary accomplishment was from first grade to 12th grade. The world has changed. This is 2016. In many ways, a college degree today is equivalent to what a high school degree was 50, 60 years ago. So yeah, I do believe that when we talk about public education in America today, in a rapidly changing world, we should have free tuition at public colleges and universities. That should be a right of all Americans, regardless of the income of their families. So, um I think that this is now a very mainstream idea, and, and uh, uh, he advocated for it. And you know, first uh, 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 former Senator Clinton kind of said, uh, "Oh, okay, sure, I'm in favor of that too." And then, and then, um, you know, that was back during the uh, back in uh, to the previous you know primary, and then in, you know back in in the run up to back in 2016, you know, and then you know by 2020, every president, every Democratic candidate had to have some kind of free college plan. So again, Bernie Sanders did that. All the credit in the world to him. Like basically, he and just him did that, and his supporters. Um, so everyone had to have a proposal. Joe Biden had a proposal, and and as part of the kind of uh, uh, rapprochement between uh, the two, uh, the Biden and, and Sanders camps, that you know once the kind of dust had cleared and they were the two major candidates at the end of the 2020 primary, Biden basically agreed to endorse the Bernie Sanders plan, which was very similar to as you said. Elizabeth Warren had also come come, come with a very similar proposal, um, which was to make public higher education just public, not private, nonprofit, uh, free. Uh, some people said, you know, for anyone, you know, uh, Sanders and, and Biden said, well, not for anyone, but for any kind of upper middle class and below defined as making $125,000 a year or below should be free. So let's say you wanted as Biden's proposal recommends to give everyone in the U.S. access to two free years of college. And for the sake of the argument, let's say the that the money is there. It's already in the budget. How would you go about doling out that free tuition? You might think that the easy answer is for the federal government to cover some fixed percentage of the cost of tuition at schools in each state, like, say, 90% of the cost of tuition for each student who attends through this program in each state. But there's a problem with that, which is, as Kevin explains, the cost of community college or a two-year degree at a public university can vary wildly from state to state. 
So if you live in California, uh, community college is very inexpensive in California. Still, despite all of the issues that we've had with states pulling back their support for college, it remains the case that you know you you pay like uh, 500 bucks a semester to go to uh, community college in California. And if you're a low-income student, there is no tuition. There's no tuition waiver. And I think some, I think a little over 50% of all the students in the California community college system don't pay tuition at all. If you go to community college in Vermont, where Bernie Sanders is the, from, uh, community college is actually pretty expensive. You know, the Vermont Technical College costs like $15,000 a year to go to. And, um, and in between those two poles, from like zero to 15,000, there's a lot of variation in uh, prices uh, and that's also true for public four-year universities. Uh, there are inexpensive state. I went to State University of New York for as an undergraduate at Binghamton. It was, you know, very affordable then. Back in the 1980s, it's still pretty affordable. New York is a high-tax, high-spending state that has done a pretty good job, even kind of bouncing up and down through recessions of keeping tuition pretty affordable. And then you'll have, you know, you have states like Louisiana or Arizona, where they basically the state legislatures just said, to heck with it." We're just pulling our money out, raise tuition. Seems like everyone wants to, wants to go to college anyway. And college has gotten really expensive in those states. So, which is a long way of saying, if you just replace the tuition students are paying, you reward the states that made tuition expensive because they're too cheap to make tuition free or, or inexpensive. And you penalize the states that did the right thing by keeping tuition low. Um, and that's going to be a very politically difficult thing to do. Um, so as was outlined, there's the pitfall of rewarding states that do the least to help defray the costs of local college tuition. Fortunately, it seems like the Biden administration has listened to critics like Kevin in updating their plan from the draft versions proposed by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. By paying states an average per student amount of aid, the federal government can ensure that there is still an incentive to keep college costs low at the state level, or at least the federal government not incentivizing keeping them high. But there's another potential issue, a flaw in the plan that Kevin outlines in two recent articles, one for the New York Times and one for the Chronicle of Higher Education. Both are excellent, and we've linked them on our website, learningmachinepodcast.com. As Kevin points out, working with the states invites the vagaries of partisan politics, something that has marred the rollout of other generous federal programs like the Affordable Care Act's Medicare expansion. You have this huge opt-out problem, right? So, you know, uh, 11 years ago now, uh, the Affordable Care Act was passed, right? That included, you know, in addition to Obamacare, which is, you know, the the exchanges and the subsidized health insurance, and, and just as importantly, maybe even more importantly, a huge expansion of the Medicaid program to include more people, uh, more people became eligible for Medicaid. And, you know, the federal government put like the sweetest possible deal on the table. Medicaid is a state federal partnership where the federal government pays for, I think, 75% of it, or the, the match depends on how wealthy you are as a state. So wealthier states have to contribute a higher percentage. Poorer states have to contribute a lower percentage. Um, for the expansion under Obamacare, the government said, we'll pay 100% of the cost of bringing all these new people into the system for a while. And then eventually it ratchets down to 90-10, which is still a pretty fantastic deal. Um, to this day, 12 states still haven't expanded Medicaid. Um, and I think to the start, you know, almost half of them didn't expand Medicaid as Democrats have had some success at the state level of moving that. Um, you know, there's no rationality to it, right? If, from a state perspective, it's they're turning down like 
millions, billions of dollars in, in denying health insurance to their most vulnerable students, I mean, uh, citizens, uh, you know, purely for ideological reasons, right? We're not going to accept socialized medicine, blah, blah, blah. And in 2012, when the uh, Affordable Care Act, you know, was challenged most seriously in the Supreme Court, although it was mostly upheld, the biggest loss in that decision was uh, a decision kind of spearheaded by Chief Justice John Roberts, who said, you know, you can't compel the states to expand Medicaid. They, they're allowed to say no, you know. Um, all of which means, you know, I think there's a real danger that if free college is structured as a state-level decision, we'll have whole states that say no. In his articles, Kevin goes on to outline a solution to this problem as well. A federal program which bypasses the states and instead works directly with colleges and universities. So my proposal is to allow any individual college, whether it's a community college or a four-year college or even a private college, you know, and many private colleges are not particularly wealthy and many private colleges serve lots of low-income students, um, to opt into a free college program where basically you would get a, a, a standard uh, per-student uh, subsidy from the federal government if you agreed to bring your tuition down. Um, so naturally, uh, colleges that are already fairly inexpensive uh, are going to be in a better position to say yes to that kind of deal. Um, so you both, you you bring, under that kind of scenario, you would bring in most of the community colleges. You would also bring in uh, kind of a, a subset of the public four-year institutions that would really would be excluded by the Biden plan that serve a lot of the same students that community colleges serve. They're more open access. They tend to be kind of regional or urban public universities. Um, um, uh, many of those institutions actually have associate's degree programs. Um, so they literally do the same thing as community colleges. And then you let the individual colleges opt in. Um, so there's no, you know, it's, it's less of a, a kind of a compulsory thing and more of a, if this makes sense to you, um, and, and so you both, you don't exclude for your colleges with an access mission and you, you help students in states where maybe some jerk is the governor who would want to say no. You know, people often point to European colleges and universities, public institutions, and say, you know, they're free, why can't we be free? Which is a perfectly fair question to ask. If you talk to people who work in European colleges and universities, the thing they will point out is they don't have as much money. So they are less expensive for students, but they also don't spend as much money on higher education as American colleges and universities. Um, they tend to sometimes be more bureaucratized. You know, they're almost more like government agencies than independent uh, uh, educational institutions. and. Um, you know, there can be consequences to that. I don't think, you know, I, I don't, we would, I, I think it would be a mistake to kind of go into this sort of restructuring of the financing of education with rose-colored glasses in terms of, terms of that. And, and, you know, like right now, I mean, a, a free college program isn't just a change in how much college costs. It's also by definition, a change in how much college is spent. Right now, colleges spend essentially as much money as they can get when they get it either from what they can get from states or from what they can get from the market. Free college takes the market out of the equation, right? So you no longer can sort of charge what the market can bear. You're just going to get as much money as the federal government chooses to give you. And, you know, if you look at federal programs, once established, they tend to kind of putter along 
they tend to be very durable, right? You know, it's it's very difficult to get rid of a federal program once it is established, but they also tend to stagnate. You know, they'll just kind of get whatever percentage increase the federal budget got that year. And that sometimes that's like 1% or 2%. And if you look at what colleges have spent over time, it's quite a bit more than that. You know, all that tuition money goes somewhere. Um, and so that's kind of part of the bargain. If you're opting into a, a free college scheme, it would be, you know, better prices, more accessibility for students, maybe more stability in the sense that federal spending tends not to nosedive during recessions because the federal government can print money and borrow. Um, but there's not a ton of upside on the spending side of things. You're kind of locking yourself into whatever your spending levels are now. And so if, if part of your, your aspirations for American higher education is, for example, to pay college professors better, to kind of reverse the whole tide of the justification and um, not have as many, you know, uh, lower percentage of classes being taught by people for who are getting paid like $1,500 for a semester, you know, that's, this doesn't necessarily solve that problem. Our guest today was Kevin Carey with the New America Institute. Check out our website for links to his most recent articles, and you can follow him on Twitter at at KevinCarey1. This week, your homework is to tweet at us your thoughts about free college. Is it a good idea? If you were the federal government, how would you go about doing it? For Learning Machine, I'm Sam Squalachi. And I'm Nathan Levin. You can find us at www.learningmachinepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.